listeners. Welcome to Grief Out Loud. Remember the last time you tried to talk about grief and suddenly everybody left the room? Grief Out Loud is opening up this often avoided conversation because grief is hard enough without having to go through it alone. We bring you a mix of personal stories, tips for supporting children, teens, and yourself, and interviews with professionals in the grief world. Platitude and cliche-free, we promise. Grief Out Loud is hosted by me, Jana DeCristofero, and produced by Dougie Center, the National Grief Center for Children and Families in Portland, Oregon. A theme that's been coming up on the show lately is exploring grief outside the realm of traditional and more formal grief support. These are opportunities for expression that go beyond just sitting and talking about our feelings. The Grief Garden, a recent event in southeastern Pennsylvania, here in the U.S., is the perfect example of this type of offering. Co-created by Julia Mallory, a multidisciplinarian artist, and Tiana Zabala, the garden manager at Goggle Work Center for the Arts, the Grief Garden was designed to bring people together in relationship with the outdoors, where they could engage with rest, movement, medicine-making, and sound. Julia Mallory is a writer and artist who, after the death of her eldest son Julian in 2017, also became a community grief worker. Through her words, images, and offerings, Julia invites others to acknowledge and express their own grief. Tiana Zabala is passionate about growing food, medicine, and building community. In her role as garden manager at Goggleworks, she focuses on urban farming and developing opportunities for collective healing. Although this conversation came about because of the Grief Garden event, as is usually true on Grief Out Loud, we also talk about Julia and Tiana's personal experiences with loss, including what they learned from their families about what grief is supposed to look and feel like. We explore their understanding of collective and intergenerational grief and how that shows up for them as Black women. We also wonder about what might be needed in terms of discourse and recognition of the pandemic-related losses that are in many ways still reverberating. Julia was a guest on Grief Out Loud back in 2021 in episode 178, where we talk more about her experience of grieving for Julian and her book, Survivor's Guilt. So be sure to check that episode out if you haven't already heard it. Julia and Tiana, thank you so much for making time to be on Grief Out Loud with me today. I'm really looking forward to our conversation and all the things we're going to talk about. Thank you so much for having us. Yes, I'm happy to be here. How would you like to introduce yourselves? Tiana, would you like to go first? (laughs) Sure, I'll go first. Um, So my name is Tiana Zabala. I'm the garden manager at Goggle Works Center for the Arts in Reading, PA. Um, And what that means is we are a urban farm in the city of Reading, using land from the Elks Lodge and Lowers Park Elementary School, and we're growing food. Um, and creating creative, artistic, nourishing spaces for the community. Um, We do a lot of classes and a lot of programs, and um, as well as quite literally selling at the farmer's market um, and a lot of other good things. I'm Julia Mallory, and I consider myself a storyteller um, and a compassionate space holder for grievers. Thank you, Julia. And listeners, Julia's voice and name might be familiar to you as she was a guest on our show 
two years ago, Julia? I have to look it up, but I think it was about two years ago. It's why how fast time is going. <laughs> and I, I am one of Julia's uh, top fans of all of the writing that she puts out in the world. So I keep reaching out being like, hey, hi, do you want to come back on the show? So that's how we landed here today. So thank you for coming back on Grief Out Loud. Uh, for both of you, and knowing that there are probably multiple experiences with grief that you could talk about uh, on this show, but just wondering, like in this moment, in this time, which which of those experiences do you want to bring into our virtual room, into our conversation? I would say for me, uh, there are a couple of central things that um, it seems like consistently wrestling with. I think since the pandemic, uh, I am grieving the shift um, in some very key relationships in my life. Um, and also, I really come to this work um, as a grieving mother um, who lost a child um, in his 17th year of life. Your son, Julian. Yes, my son, Julian. Hmm. I think recently mine have quite literally been um, the loss of mothers in my close circle. So actually a year ago, no, two years ago, next week, I lost my mother-in-law. Um, and then recently in December, lost my grandmother, who was basically my mother. And then my best friend lost her mother. And then another best friend, mother was terminally diagnosed, terminally ill. And then another friend also lost their mother. And this has all been within a year's time. Um, and that's something that I've been sort of writing about. I'm also a writer. Um, in exploring in my own life is just this mass loss of mothers around the same time. And all ironically to the same reason, it's cancer. So I've been really exploring that lately. Mm. So quite an accumulation of loss related to a particular generation of people in your life who are mothers or mothering in some way. Yes. I'm curious for both of you, what understanding or like, I don't know, education around this idea of grief, whether it's grief from the loss, like a death loss of a person or grief of other non non death types of losses like what did what did your communities and your family try to teach you or show you about grief and in that are there ways that you're learning or trying to do it differently for yourselves um it's so funny because i i saw this question and um wasn't really sure how I would answer it today but i am thinking about in some ways, I honestly, I, I, re I remember the first time that a caregiver had to share with me that someone died, someone had transitioned. And I'm remembering I'm like in the fourth grade, um, it's my dad and he is telling me that my great grandmother, who I'm named after, has transitioned. But he, he tells me like at like after I come home from school, because he did not want me, I guess, to be sad about it. And in some ways, I think 
I mean, was that probably the appropriate thing to do? Possibly. It also could have been an appropriate thing to do to maybe tell me in the morning and then maybe I stay home and then we process it together as a family. Um, poss- you know, I, I not judging my, my dad and the way he handled it, but I think now in hindsight, I'm also thinking how that could have taught me early on that sharing that type of information or loss um, is something that people have to be protected from. And... I don't know why I'm just I'm drawing that conclusion in this moment, but I do also think about losing um, my dad several like about three years after that incident. And now as an adult, after Julian's death, I know that I did not process <laughs> I did not process my dad's death at all um, and would have needed more support and prompting to do that. And so I think my family on one hand definitely showed me how important it is to come together for people in their laws, how important it is to have those funeral rites and rituals. That part is very clear to me, you know, how there could be a week to two week long process of tending to folks, preparing for the funeral, um, you know, what you do in between any travel, sitting with grieving folks, cooking for them, um, showing up for them financially, what you do after the laws, you know, so gathering together, having a repass. And then in my family, there's like the repass after the repass. And those ways, I have a very clear idea of how community and family is supposed to come together around the laws. But then there's kind of this thing that happens where we do find ways to kind of lift up folks, but it's a lot more subtle. It's a lot more subtle. um, And I think one of the the struggles is wanting to be maybe in continued conversation and trying to find the appropriate time to maybe connect with other people around those losses. But as a young person in hindsight, I'm just thinking of these two very distinct uh, instances and how that definitely shaped my relationship to grief. And it was Julian's death that very much made it clear to me that if I did not process his laws, that that I would not recover, like quite frankly, that if I did not process it um, in real time and give it immediate attention intending to, um, I would not recover. So I think I got very interesting lessons around it and some that I'm still learning and trying to make sense of. Julia, as you're talking about it, I was thinking that this idea of like your dad waiting till you came home from school and like, and sensing that as like all good intentions to maybe, you know, help protect you in some way or shield you in some way from the intensity of, of that loss and how, if I'm hearing you correctly, almost like that can get a little internalized as uh, over the long term. I also need to shield myself or protect myself from maybe feeling or experiencing or sensing into this grief and that, you know, your community shows up, your family shows up very immediately with that tangible, like we're cooking and we're helping people out and we're coming together as community, but there's not as much of an understanding of like, well, what do I do as myself with, with this loss? Right. How about you, Tiana? What's, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, when I read this question, I thought more of, um, particularly, I feel like my educational grief was 
through my grandmother um, in the way that my grandmother lost a 15-year-old daughter, my Aunt Elena, when she was, my grandmother was probably maybe 26. She was very young when she had her. By the time I, you know, was born into life, this had happened maybe 20 plus years ago. Um, And it was something that my experience with grief was that it was not talked about. It was non-existent. I just knew that these, this person had existed in my family at some point and that was it. And it wasn't until I was in my twenties when I like, there were some character traits that my grandma had that I just didn't particularly care for. So I talked to my uncle about it and he shared with me that after my grandmother lost her daughter, everything changed. And it was very, my like, there was no grieving as well. My, my uncle's exact words were, there was no grieving. There was no talking. There was, it was just moving on from it, right? Moving on in quotes. And my grandmother, even with us as grandchildren, there was a photo of my aunt up and she like spoke about her if you asked about her, but her way, she just never brought it up. Later in life, my grandmother... I was 12 when she lost her father, my great-grandfather, who I had a relationship with. And that was my first experience with a loss of a human being. My style of grieving as a 12-year-old was very, you know, expressive. And I even stood up and spoke at my great-grandfather's funeral at 12 and by my own choice. And I found that it, it influenced my grandmother me being a child, my grandmother started to talk about her, you know, her father with me and her grieving and her children. You know, I didn't realize till later on that what I learned early on was not to talk about things in general, right? Um, not to express things in general. And it was all really related to grief. And, you know, it, it of course, that experience set me down a whole path of just learning like, my grandmother's children, my aunts and uncles, like I never thought like, what was their life like losing their sibling at at that age? And it made me look at my family completely differently. And I understand them so much more now. (laughs) Um, And I I think that was the biggest lesson I learned about grief in general, even to this day, um, was through my grandma, her experience. It wasn't even my experience. I'm also struck by the fact that you ended up almost being a role model for your grandmother and how to start to find some words or some ways of expressing that grief and that loss as a 12-year-old. Mm-hmm. It seems like we've already started to touch on some of these topics just in the what you both just shared now, but I'm curious about the idea of you know, distinctions, or maybe there are no distinctions, but these concepts of like individual personal grief collective grief and intergenerational grief. And I wonder like, what do those terms mean to you all? I think like the first image that popped in my head was like a tree, you know, thinking about how we can all be connected to a particular grief. And so the intergenerational grief being the roots um, and then the collective grief perhaps being like the trunk of the tree or the body of the tree, and then the branches being the individual grief um, and how even though each of those things maybe have um, distinct 
a distinct look and feel, they're also very much connected and feed and fuel um, each other. And so that's essentially, I think about like this intergenerational grief because people talk a lot now about like, you know, generational healing. And I'm thinking as I, as I wrote in the, or, or was preparing the second edition of Survivor's Guilt, I'm thinking like there cannot be any generational healing until we deal with this like generational grief. And sometimes, you know, like Tiana, like you said, you know, your aunt, right, had transitioned before you were even born, before you were technically thought of, right? And yet such a substantial loss has already had incredible impact. And the thing is, the grief is already it has already impacted your family so significantly and you only see the outcome of it, but you don't know the source of it. You don't know the root of it, right? You're just one of these branches connected trying to figure out like, you know, why is this tree swaying a little bit? Or, you know, why do some of these branches, the, like why are they not bearing any fruit? So I think about just, again, the thing about grief, how we kind of learn this thing that like, oh, if we don't acknowledge it, if we don't talk about it, I guess that somehow doesn't like it, it somehow removes the power or the impact of it. Whereas really like the opposite, we all just kind of get inflicted or uh, impacted by it. I don't want to say inflicted because I'm not trying to make it seem like grief in itself is a negative thing since it's, it's a very natural and normal part of life. Now, some of the circumstances that produce our grief are not natural and normal, but I think about how it's this thing like, Oh, we don't acknowledge it, but it's, it's like, it's like, I always like to go to the house metaphor of grief, right? We're not letting the grief in the house, but it's literally already inside. We think we have kept it out. It is already in its own room. It has already started, you know, drinking our juice, using our favorite towels, you know, eating the last of the Cheetos. Like it is already in the space, whether we are acknowledging it or not. And so... I love, Tiana, I love thinking of you at 12 years old and being this light in your family and your grandma seeing you in a new light, seeing her own life in loss in a new light and how that just like sparked something like, oh, wow, huh, maybe there is another way to go about this. And so I think about even just the cycle of life um, and giving and how even individually as we grieve, and we have to process our losses because I think that I, one of the things I realized, and I wrote this very early on, um, a few months after Julian's death, I was thinking like, I inherited this unasked for loss, like being who I already was. And so what does that mean? That some of us are going to have different ways that we will engage with our grief um, individually. And then what does what do our rituals and process look like when we are together? collectively, or even if we are sharing similar laws, how do those losses mirror what our families have already experienced throughout the ages based on similar circumstances? So even though they, you know, we like, oh, there's individual grief, there's collective grief, there's generational grief. It's still like a mighty river that still has all these tributaries feeding back into it. I don't really think I have an answer, but just those 
those ideas to, to think about. The metaphor of the tree that you mentioned, Julia, I'm just thinking about how like the, the expression of the leaves is impacted, like you said, or influenced by the structure of the trunk and the structure of the trunk is impacted or influenced by the root system and so many things that we may not even know is going on under the tree that we can't see. And yet the impact is seen at the the newest little leaf that's growing, uh, that it is all uh, interrelated in that way. I think definitely when we start to see those new leaves or the new fruit um, and it is it's telling us something um, and, and Tiana as a, as a gardener and someone who's always working with the land, I'm sure you can add something here, but I'm thinking about how when there is something that the thing that is supposed to produce, it's not, it's not happening. It's not, you know, coming through the way that it's supposed to develop. It's not, um, you know, it, it's not, it's not, it's not doing the thing that we think it's supposed to do based on the particular cycle. And I think, again, Tiana, you at 12 and how here you come this leaf, right? And you are essentially, I'm using it in the reverse way, but you're like this really big leaf on this tree. And they're like, well, how this leaf get so big, right? Here you are in your grief and and just being full of life and and showing them something. And then the folks, you know, the roots are like, oh, there's some more attending to um, or something. Like we know that something isn't right because some of the other leaves didn't come out the same way. And so now we can see the difference in the contrast. You know, we can we can think of ourselves even as the leaves that hmm, didn't didn't grow the same way. And why is that? What do you think, Tiana? Does that match with the actual science of, of the growing of the plants and the trees? <laughs> <laughs> it does. And even it's funny because as you were saying that, I was thinking too, like in a plant analogy, if if a plant isn't getting what it needs, it actually literally rots. And the fruit, especially if it's in the fruiting stage, will fall off and you'll never like get to, re- you know, reap the fruits at all or the good things. The best part, right, is the fruit. And I see that with, you know, we were talking about intergenerational grief. I'm particularly interested in that. And, and collective grief has been something I've been thinking about a lot since, you know, 2020 or really like 2019, whatever time does not exist anymore. But <laughs> our collective grief as a society experiencing a trauma on a collective level, in my opinion, it still has not been addressed properly. (laughs) Right. A lot of us are are still healing from that. Whenever I talk to someone about the time period of 2019 to maybe like 2022, people are like, I don't even remember what happened during that time. All of the classic symptoms of grieving or you know what would point to someone grieving a lot of people say these things and it comes up and you know it's not about losing a person it's about maybe even losing time in their life or opportunities or anything that was lost particularly for me I always feel like I experienced the I hate to say the pandemic because I don't know if it's over or not but I I feel like I experienced the pandemic differently than a lot of people because I never stopped working And I was also a manager during that time. So a lot of people were laid off during that time. 
And for me, you know, that's a big thing that triggers grief, losing your source of income, you're losing your life sustenance. And that was something that I was really concerned about the impact of that and the grief that people experience from that. And I, I guess what I'm trying to do now in the position I'm in is find opportunities for that collective healing, which thankfully Julia brought one to us with the grief garden. I really appreciate what you said, Tiana, about how even though, you know, the pandemic is something that on some level impacted everybody and impacted certain groups of people and certain people in many more levels maybe than other folks, right? Like it wasn't an, it wasn't an equal distribution of impact of the pandemic and how little discourse there seems to be about the global collective community impact of that, right? That it affected us all individually, but what does that mean for how it affected us as family units, community units, neighborhood unit, like there's just not that much discourse. And, I, and as you were talking, I was thinking, I wonder if there's something about collective experiences that require more time and distance to speak of in a more reflective way. You know that it's hard to talk about it while it's actually occurring, but that's a different conversation for a different time. But just, yeah, thinking about that piece and that absence of, and, you know, you had mentioned that the event that you and Julia put together the grief garden that just happened recently as an attempt to like find some opportunity for people to come together as a collective to express and process both personal losses and community losses. So how did you all come up with the idea of the grief garden and and what did it entail? I, I want to just back up just really quickly to uh, address some of what Tiana said in terms of our collective grief and the lack of possibly overall processing that has happened. And I sometimes, I have to be honest, sometimes I really have this fear of what this delayed onset of grief will be like. And so part of, I think, also the dilemma is it is so much easier to attribute delayed grief to other things. And so there was even a point of time, probably roughly about a year ago, where there was this discussion about um, the way that grief was being pathologized, right? There was this discussion around prolonged grief. And it is it's, there's something very cruel about not being able to provide people with a space to deal with insurmountable loss while also exceptionalizing it and making it abnormal. My concern is that maybe some of the same folks who have had different impact during the pandemic might also be some of these folks who will be pathologized because they have not been able to do what is expected of them in a grief avoidant society. And so to be quite honest, I am I'm not surprised by the lack of overall discussion in processing of collective grief because we can see with the shift of the pandemic and even how those conversations changed very quickly early on, how we, it was, we're all in this together. Um, and then it shifted to really singling, singling out certain communities of people and blaming them 
for their own demise. I, I still am hopeful of the folks that are still doing the tending to and in providing compassionate space holding for folks that want to find ways to, um, to engage with their grief, recognizing that it's not going to look the same for everyone. And so bringing, bringing discussion around the grief garden, um, I'm thinking about part of the idea originated from another opportunity that I was in discussion for in 2021. And it was thinking about uh, working in particular with Black women and doing something related to gardening or something related to the land. And so putting together this um, this offering with similar ideas and some of the feedback that I also got because I was doing a lot of virtual workshops early in 2020 um, and then the very early part of 2021 to talk about grief. And some of the feedback that I've gotten from folks were, we really enjoy this. Are there additional ways, are there additional ways to process grief, right? Not everyone necessarily wants to talk it out or write it out or turn it into a poem. Um, or an affirmation, are there other ways that we can hold space for grieving folks? And so I was thinking through different ideas. Um, and also, I think the tree uh, example kind of popped into my mind because I'm also thinking about just our relationship to the land and how that also impacts our grief and also even how, how nature can be a site of healing. And so I was like, okay, doing something outside, but what if we gave people those other things to do? So maybe they don't want to talk about their grief, but maybe they want to like move their body and just like shake it out of their nervous system. Maybe they want to try herbal medicine to soothe their grief. What about sound, right? There's other ways to engage with our grief. And in fact, I would argue that for a lot of us, sometimes just talking about it isn't enough of an embodiment and we need other other ways to express it as well. So that is some kind of introductory information about how the grief garden came to be. And then I had met Tiana in uh, February, 2020 at an event a month before the pandemic shut down, really, really thought she was sweet, really nice, really genuine and sincere. And I was like, okay, I saw the work she was doing at the garden. And I was like, I'm going to see if she wants to collaborate on something like this. Cause I think you really need, you really need some folks that are just very compassionate and generous, I think, to be able to do some of this work. And uh, I thought Tiana would be incredible. So I reached out and it came together. That's a very quick answer, uh, Tiana, but I <laughs> love, would love to hear your your thoughts about it. Yeah, I I was interested when Julia reached out to me because when we met at that event, I did buy Survivor's Guilt from her and I did read it. And it was one of those books that I, anytime it applied, I read it again. Anytime I felt like someone, um, you know, usually it was related to someone losing someone. They needed it. I gave it to them, even though giving out books, you know, <laughs> it's kind of hard sometimes, but I did. And I remember one person in particular that I gave the book to was like, just so grateful 
to read something that wasn't telling them what to do and wasn't telling them how to feel and telling them how to process it. And especially because Julia is a black woman, I don't think I can actually say for sure. I did not see a black woman talking about grief openly sharing experiences, sharing art. And then at that, if you've ever seen Julia in person, she is so bright and cheerful and her style is like gorgeous colors and, and brightness. And I just found it such a lovely contrast to the heavy subject of grief that this person is so beautiful and bubbly and bright and helping people through what can ultimately be the darkest time of their life sometimes. So I, Survivor's Guilt will always be on my bookshelf and anything else that Julia makes. I'm very excited that she continues to do this work because someone does have to do it. And it's also sacred work that I would say our ancestors and our living um, connected peoples in Africa are still doing this work. But here in the United States, we don't have access to that kind of sacred space or or priestess or whoever would usually be conducting that. And I feel like Julia is that person for a lot of us, especially in our very digital age where a lot of that work is now translated digitally. And so I felt like it was just a good person to partner with. And she was bringing an idea that I was like, yes, we need this and I have the space for it. So let's do it. So I'm very happy that it came together the way it did. Tiana, thank you so much. Um, I mean, your words like nearly brought tears to my eyes. Um, I'm so grateful to be able to do this work. And, and it's like really fascinating to me. I do think, I appreciate your candor, even um, in the way that you express that appreciation. Because to be quite frank, I do think that is why a lot of people um, have been comfortable working with me because they're in some ways they're also like, okay, you just look like also like an around the way girl. And it's like, I'm just woo woo enough. Right. But not in a way that feels inaccessible to some like everyday regular folk. And I think also, and I'm not gonna, I'm, I'm not gonna minimize it, but I think that people, people were like, okay, Julia, you want me to do this hard thing? You want me to talk about this? You want me to do all these things? Cool. But I also want a little bit of assurance that I will be okay at some point. Right? <laughs> and I think that um, some of that okayness for some folks in my community, I represented the balance. Like, okay, we know that you're probably going to sometimes talk about grief more than we're comfortable with. But that seems to be working for you. So, hmm, okay, maybe there is some power in that. But, oh, gosh, here you go again, talking about grief. Oh, but you're right. I do need to talk about grief or examine it or have a relationship with it. Oh, okay. And you're talking about grief, but you're also, like, doing all these other things. So is the grief, like, giving you some sort of power? Like, it's not slowing you down, but I feel slowed down because I'm sad. Like, and so it's just, you know, trying to provide a space, an example for folks to really ex examine this really multi-layer relationship 
that grief introduces us to ourselves um, and each other. So I, I feel like I'm going to ask a, like a really boring logistical question because the two of you have been having this like very amazing conceptual conversation, um, which I'm like, I'm a little entranced by it. So I'm like, wait, come back. I got to ask a logistical question. So I apologize. It's a little bit boring. But for listeners who are like, okay, well, what's a grief garden? Like, what did the day actually look like? Who, who did you have come participate? How did you decide what you were going to do? Like, just take us through a little bit of what the day was like. So we we did meet regularly. We we thought about what could those different modalities look like. And so we each, you know, tried to come up with a list of practitioners, some that we had worked with or had heard of or had seen in action. And also we wanted like the right type of folks to work with our very diverse community um, so that people would also feel comfortable um comfortable enough to experience and open themselves up to trying a variety of um, offerings, some that may not have necessarily been familiar to them. So I do think, I don't think anything was spared in terms of our like logistics side. Like we, we try to be very thorough. And the one thing that was, um, this is the last thing I'll say, uh, I want to make sure that Tiana adds something here, but the last thing I'll say, it was very important to me also, to recognize that our practitioners and facilitators for that day are also grievers. So we try to stagger the schedule so that people like you. Yes, maybe, you know, we had um, our herbalist who was was leading this this workshop. But we also wanted to be able to recognize that this event should not grind you up. Like you should not be exhausted when you leave here. So it was supposed to be that people would like kind of come in like 20 or 30 minute increments. And then that would also allow our providers or uh, uh, facilitators to be able to go to the other stations too, to also check out what the other folks were offering at their stations. So that was really important to me because I think it is so easy, especially um, in community-based wellness settings to really forget that we are also like a part of the community. And so wanting, I think I'm trying to be better at modeling that. Like how do we, yes, we have an expectation that things will run smoothly um, and successfully, but can things run smoothly successfully while also taking into consideration the needs of the people that are actually providing the services so that we all in a sense get something out of it, but also learn and demonstrate how to like care for each other in real time. Yeah, I, I so appreciate that, Julia, this idea of like the, the people who are providing the service, the holding of the space, don't leave that day feeling like wrung out sponges, right? That they get to get a little bit of replenishment for themselves. And then everybody leaves feeling uh, more nourished in a sense. Tiana, what was important to you about the day in terms of the types of offerings that were provided? For me, I was really focused more on like the utilization of the space properly and making the space be nourishing to the people. Um, you know, it was held in a garden space where we grow food and we grew herbs and, but it's also an urban setting. So it's literally like street access. You can hear sirens and all kinds of things if they were to come by. Thankfully, they did not for us. Um, and then we also have like an open grassy field 
where we also held, um, you know, the body massages were out there and then the movement uh, station was out there as well. And so it was really important for us to allow people to move freely and not feel like they were on a set path. Although what is funny, what happened when they got there, we found that everyone kind of came as a group at the same time. And then they all stuck together as a group at the same time, um, which was great because that seemed like what everybody wanted to do. And there were a few people that branched off where like, if they came later, they were able to engage in the stations, you know, at will. But for the most part, it seemed like people wanted to be together and process together, um, even if they weren't necessarily talking to each other. So I found that to be very interesting. And so for me as, um, you know, a farmer or like a person who's working with the land, I was interested in that aspect, especially because, you know, in black culture, specifically African-Americans, our relationship with the land can be a source of grief because of the history that we've had on the land. And I'm always looking for ways for people to renew that relationship, revitalize that relationship, have a better relationship. Um, and because when you work with the land, I think in my experience, grief becomes quite natural. You know, you experience death constantly, whether it's plants dying or you experience the cycle of life constantly. It's really interesting that you all put together this event that was really, you know, designed to address some of that collective grief, even if people were coming at it from their own personal experiences. And yet you and you set it up so that people could do it at their own pace. And yet they as a collective wanted to do it collectively. So it must have been something in the intention there that they're like, No, we're gonna do this as a group. <laughs> we don't want to go at it alone. <laughs> I think you just spoke to it. A lot of people, right, we are looking for empathic and emphatic witness and people really a lot of times don't want to go at it alone. And so when they show up in the space, I think it just felt like, okay, wow, these are people that get me. These are people that are like, yes, it's okay that it's been 15 years since you've lost this particular person and it's still hits you in a certain type of way and you want to acknowledge that it hits you in a certain type of way. And so I think people just were happy to just be seen and understood um, in that particular, in the particular way that they are leading their lives in relationship to grief. And the other thing that was also important to us, and we tried to make sure this was clear in our messaging and our promotion materials was that, yes, we have these very planned offerings. These facilitators are amazing. They're here to um, provide you nourishment and uh, and support in your grief. But we also wanted people to, if they wanted to just come and be in the space and not in particularly engage in a formal way, if they just wanted to come and be outdoors and let the sun shine on them, um, just sit in the garden and just watch, listen, cry, laugh, play like eat food like we just wanted to to try to get people into the space to really say ultimately that hey you are coming in the space where we see you and we acknowledge your loss and we affirm that it is okay to acknowledge it and like we're glad to be able to share this company with you what what comes next i i think the grief garden as a concept 
is something that I would absolutely love to continue to explore. I also told, as I told Tiana, I recognize that what that means, however, is that every garden won't be her garden, which was perfectly and wonderfully designed for an offering like this. And so how, how can I show up in planning and support, recognizing the unique ecosystem of a particular community in a variety of ways? And so I am right now planning a, um, I, so, cause one of the things that we also offered in the grief garden, I did a guided collage workshop. Um, collage has been a very healing modality for me. Um, and so I wanted to be able to offer that in the space, but what I'm, what I'm working towards right now is in, in my local community, um, I'm going to her, have a community collage workshop with the intent that folks will come and create memorial collages to honor their loved ones. And I'm partnering with a local, um, it's called the Memory Garden, um, and it was started by Reverend James Lowes in about, about 2012. Um, and it is a space where there are pavers with the names of folks who in our county who have died by by violence. And so the public art exhibition, the idea is to, as, as of now, the working title is The Stars in Our Grief Galaxy. And people will be able to come and uh, will have their artwork, their memorial collages will be on display and community members can come and um, and, and, and witness, right? And share in the memory of of our loved ones that have transitioned. And, and the goal right now, as, as I'm learning, folks come and they make the space their own. I'm just trying to provide the container. And right now I'm more interested in um, just making sure that folks can come learn collage and work with that uh, modality, however it means to them. And people are welcome to make memorial collages, but loved ones don't have to transition as a result of violent circumstances. So trying to, you know, make sure that there's a variety of space. Um, and I'm thinking some folks might want to come to the collage workshop and make collages that are not memorial based. So I'm preparing for that as well. That is that is kind of what's what's next for me. And Tiana, is there a way in which your experience with the grief garden is going to be kind of reverberating in the day to day work that you are doing and tending the land and tending the community around the land? I definitely think so. Since then, I've really done a lot. Um, you know, I've always been into herbalism and I'm interested in the way, you know, grief shows up in our bodies and the herbs and medicines that do help with that. Um, particularly like tea blends that we can make. Um, even myself, I have a tincture called Good Grief and it's, a, you know, synergistic herbal blend that helps support grief so that's one of the ways but really I think I'm focusing on building positive community for people so that when and because it is when and not an if people experience grief they are more connected to people around them and have better relationships and maybe can be supported better and that's work that I think I will always continue to do lifelong even if I was done farming. 
Well, Julia and Tiana, I thank you for being willing to come on the show for the work that you have done to create this offering, the grief garden, um, for the way that's going to continue to ripple out into your own personal work and into the work that you do with, uh, with your community. So I'm just hugely grateful for your time and your energy and your creativity today. Thank you so much for your thoughtful questions and for the invitation. Very grateful for your work as well. Yeah, thank you so much for having me and including me in this talk. And I've been, I've enjoyed the conversation that we've had together. And listeners, I will put a bunch of links in the show notes so you can connect to Julia's work, Tiana's work, uh, the Grief Garden, uh, and all the other ways to get connected. So yeah, thank you both again for being here. And listeners out there, I say it to you each and every single time, but thank you for being part of our community, for listening to the show, for sharing episodes with people that you think might be impacted in some way by the conversations that we're having here. If you are someone who wants to reach out to me to, I don't know, tell me what the show means to you or tell me about someone that you've connected with you think would make a fantastic guest, please email me at griefoutloud at dougie.org. That's D-O-U-G-Y dot O-R-G. That's also the main website for Dougie Center where you can find all of our free downloadable resources like tip sheets and activity sheets, information about our local programming, and all of the past episodes of Grief Out Loud. I'm always excited to share that our show is sponsored in part by the Chester Stefan Endowment Fund. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you'll join us again next time.